Welcome to Pickle Me This, the officially unofficial podcast for Rick and Morty on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm Aaron. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we're covering Season 3, Episode 2, Rick Mansing the Stone. Here's Aaron with the recap. Beth and Jerry are getting a divorce, and the family has various ways of coping with it. Beth checks out just a little as a parent, content with simulations of her kids and lots of wine. Summer engages in thrill-seeking and self-destructive behavior. Morty befriends a sentient left arm on a quest to avenge his family, and the wind whispers, loser, to Jerry. All right, Aaron, what do you think of uh, second episode of season three? I think this is a great episode. It's entertaining. I it, I bust a gut every single time the wind whispers loser to Jerry. Mm-hmm. I think there's something very primally funny about nature itself rejecting the Jerry <laughs> organism. Uh you know, in various ways, like in, in creatures great and small, and there's there something to that and his dress and garb that I find uh, very, very satisfying. And I really like that Summer continues to be more integrated into the main adventuring group. Mm-hmm. Um, I like <laughs> Rick's patronizing her, like, oh, some, some, come, you know, that grand, grandpa's concern for your safety is fleeting. Uh, <laughs> it's, and then him doing the same thing when he's like, as he's packing up to leave, as the manufactured crisis has has occurred, he's like, "Oh, Samsa, I can't believe it would end so soon." I I, I think it's I think it's great. What do you think? Yeah, and some are calling him on that stuff too. It's, right, it's real good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm I am not a product of divorce, though I know many people out there are. Uh, I, I was looking at this sort of through the lens of my life, trying to find the parallels. And I think I found them a little bit in like being disowned by your family for religious reasons. I, I think that's the, the feelings around that are comparable in some ways. Um, and so I was trying to approach it from that angle, but I, I really like what they do here with, you know, showing the different reactions of the kids, mm-hmm. uh, showing the reaction of Beth to, yeah, the, the new status of their family. Yeah. Um, and how, you know, they're the, by the end of this episode, I feel like they have worked through a large portion of that. Mm. And granted, it's only 23 minutes and it's a short amount of time to go through, but they, they live three weeks or more in this world uh, and, and have, you know, experiences that sort of shape how they feel about their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this crazy situation they're in. Yeah, I like they do some smart things where in the start of the episode, you'd think that like Morty is the most functional of them because uh-huh. he's like talking about, hey, isn't this something that we need to worry about? And I'm worried about my sister and I'm worried about. My... But like by the end of the episode, you realize that he's, you know, just just being self-aware to the struggle does not make it less of one. Yeah. And uh, his his using Armathy as a crutch um which you know again the concept <laughs> of armathy is great uh what a what a fully realized character in about you know like 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 two two charade games and a, a 15 second flashback pov of a left arm flashback uh, they <laughs> they fully fully create this character they do and it's it's no wonder that morty bonds with it right they're kind of going through similar things like sure. armathy has lost uh destruction of the family, family yeah, yeah. And and Morty feels as if he's lost his too, and so 
yeah, the the fact that like Morty is sort of in denial about it, right? And then through the course of the adventure that uh, his arm takes him on, he understands. Oh, actually, no, I'm 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 sort of angry about this, and I want to lash out, but why? And like, yeah, yeah, it's it's a good arc for him. There is an interesting like anger. I'm not going to say misdirected or misplaced anger towards Jerry as the dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I wonder where that's coming from because uh, it seems like maybe Jerry is taking his like passive aggressive approach to life into the divorce because it seems like instead of like coming up with something that the kids would want to do to hang out with him, he just wants to guilt trip them into not being excited about or not. I don't know. I don't know what he expected from the final goodbye because it's like, yeah, yeah. we're going to see you. Like, aren't we, aren't, aren't we coming over to your apartment on Thursday night? Or it's, it's not like mm-hmm. you're, you're leaving and you're never coming back. It's, you know, it's the same thing that like they had with the look who's purging where, you know, Jerry's just pestering summer um for money now he's pestering the kids i guess for affection um yeah and he's confused as to why his dad won't fight for this relationship that he views as so vital to the family yeah uh and that dynamic and and by the end i think you know he's come to terms with it which which is is maybe where i identify with it most it's like how much does morty's happiness depend on his father's happiness right? right like or or that very specific uh relationship that they had before yeah well, Morty at the end decides it doesn't depend very much on that, right? Like yeah. he's got his life to live, and if he's not willing to fight for something, maybe he just doesn't care. Maybe it's not valuable to him. Well, right? that's the other thing is like I, that's why I'm like it's something about this passive aggressive thing because it's uh, didn't Morty say something about like you know fight for your relationship or or don't uh-huh. and let it go like like it's essentially shit or get off the pot, right? The he's, the the thing the course of action where you're just kind of making sure everyone knows how bummed out you are about this deal that you're going through mm-hmm. is is not attractive to anyone. And, um, and I think it follows on from everything we've seen from Jerry, right? Like Beth has you know the speech earlier in like, it's, yeah, I can't remember if it was first season or second season, but she's talking about how she's sort of working to make this relationship work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that Morty hits on that the the Jerry is not. Right, Jerry is just being Jerry, and and it doesn't seem like the relationship shows any value. And yet, every time it's threatened, he tries to like puff up and pretend like it matters to him. Yeah, but it doesn't really. Right. Otherwise, he would be fighting for it, like uh-huh. Morty says. So, like, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, the only thing he hates more than being left is the hassle of like fighting for the relationship. You know, it's uh-huh. just this <laughs> right. Uh, it's everything. It's everything happens to Jerry. He's never like a captain of his own ship, and he can't admit that to himself. Right. He can't it's, admit that this doesn't mean as much to him as right. wearing this stupid fucking hat from Titanic or whatever. Like, yeah, and then I feel like Morty's self aware enough to realize, like, God damn, this is my dad. I don't want to be like that. Like, what? It's like, at, mm-hmm. at some at some point, you realize this. I don't know. Maybe this is just specific to me, but like. Rebelling against your parents is essentially saying like rebelling against all the negative things in your parents' life because it's like you know I've I'm uh, I'm unbridled potential 
and look at you to the extent that your parents are lame and pathetic and they probably are because they're so much older than you and you're much younger and vital mm-hmm. uh like i don't want to become your sad broken thing so like you, you you do things differently and that's that's how it works and i feel like that morty he's already aware that he's kind of like the wind if not whispering is starting to think of him as a as a loser uh-huh. it's like you know he's he's wanting to, to to shake that 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 stink off of him so he he takes it out on his dad um it seems like both of the kids, though, are squarely blaming everything on Jerry. Does it, you feel like that's yeah? A good no, I, I definitely agree with that statement. I don't know that it's fair, I, and I agree with that one as well. But I also understand <laughs> why it's happening, and I agree with that one yeah, okay. as well. Yeah, all right. I think I we're feel, in agreement here. Uh, a podcast audience, are we all on the same page? Okay, we can we can move on to the the next topic. Absolutely, like I. I don't know that Jerry, like Jerry putting his foot down here and giving an ultimatum may be a stupid decision in that moment uh, mm. because it does sort of lead to the breakup of his family. Right. But also, he's 100% correct in his assessment of Rick, and Rick admits as much mm-hmm. in the the end of the previous episode. Sure. Like, I did all this because Jerry crossed me, and I wanted to fuck him up as bad as possible, mm-hmm. and the collateral damage here is the family. Right. Uh, Jerry recognizes that, that Rick is the problem here, and I... Or that their sort of tolerance, their over-tolerance of all of Rick's shenanigans is the problem. Uh, And yet the kids don't see Jerry's being correct here. What they see is Jerry putting his foot down and that being the root cause of the family blowing up. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like what all the aspects of being unfair because, you know, I I guess the the way he put his foot down is like he's on... He's laying in a Normandy and he's at the back of the boat pissing himself saying, oh, my God, there's machine guns at the front. And then <laughs> there's guys that are like, you know, running through that machine gun fire and they're getting killed, too. And it's like, well, they're both dead. But the guy that ran forward, we kind of like better because, you know, he's at least trying to do something where the yeah. guy in the back is saying machine gun fire bad. You know, like this, this, <laughs> this, this whole Rick thing bad is like, you know, what, what, but, but. What's the workable solution? What's the compromise? How do you yeah. lead Beth and the family to that same conclusion? Um, or, you know, maybe if, if, if uh, that's the thing, if, if they're going to go down with that Rick ship, then maybe you should be okay with that and build a new attractive home for your children to be feel safe and sheltered and not threatened by aliens in, you know? Again, yeah, shit, that- get off the pot, man. And I think Summer's reaction is also equally interesting to Morty because she seems to be... Um, rebelling in a different way. It's more like she wants to go build a life without her family, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know what? This is such a clusterfuck that I'm going to take the world by the reins and I'm just going to be my own person here and not cons- not even want to go back to my family, right? I want to stay here forever. Well, there's also like this like thrill-seeking kind of semi-suicidal aspect to it too. Absolutely, yeah. Like uh, you know, I might die, but I'm also it's going to be surrounded by fire and explosions and maybe the man the the mustache helmet wearing man that I love. <laughs> Uh, and, and completely it, on my own terms. Yeah, it's like it's it's like this is a lot like you know you watch those videos of like R- Russian teenagers getting drunk and hanging off of seven hundred foot antennas like by uh-huh. their pinkies or some shit. It's just like fuck it, you know. Like <laughs> summer is in just kind of fuck it mode, and uh-huh. it leads her someplace really savage but true. Um, yeah, yeah. I there's there's something really interesting I think about 
the fact that Summer has has kind of lives her best le- life in this kind of savage environment with no rules or restrictions in the same way that like Beth and Jerry and her thrive in the Cronenberg world hmm. as, yeah, as a I, nuclear unit. I'm trying to determine, are they saying something about technology and its effects on relationships and uh, specifically the familial unit? I don't know. I maybe because like it, it reminds me of this uh, book I read a couple years back called *Sapiens*, where this guy talks about like early human development, and he essentially argues that most of like what we do as a pastime tries to recreate the dopamine rush of like hunting a mammoth. Hmm. Like like okay. you know like what you are living life like are you, you telling me when I'm with, playing with your brothers World? and sisters and aunts and uncles chase this thing down and savagely kill it and you dress in its skin and you dance around a fire and you eat it and like who the fuck is bored maybe someone got gored this time it's mm-hmm. da- like like your pulse is racing like that's a <laughs> fucking life fully lived and now we jump out of airplanes because we're just trying to get do anything to make us feel. Uh, yeah. yeah, like that, that, that you don't need a meaning in life and life is so fucking struggle, like at, at like that existential level. Yeah, um, so Summer is creating her own meaning here by do you know, going back to this sort of savage existence. Right, right. That um, makes sense. Yeah. If you can't find meaning in your family and then the world that you're so accustomed to, so look maybe, outside it. Maybe we shouldn't be afraid of the apocalypse, Jim. It's just, the, you no, know. I'm ready for it. Yeah. Like I'll die immediately. Yeah. But. You know, that's. I mean, it sucks. We hunted the mammoths to the extinction, so they're not around. I mean, like, yeah, there's taking the... taking down a, a a feral Jersey cow. I don't think is going to provide the same <laughs> of excitement. No, you just have to approach it with a bouquet of flowers and conk it on the head. Yeah, we okay. <laughs> well, I guess we're. You can run around in his skin if you want to, but yeah, it's weird because like they go back to the savage existence and the technology isn't there. Uh, and when Rick gives the technology, the the electricity to this society, that blows up Summer and Hemorrhage's relationship, right? Because right. all Hemorrhage wants to do is sit around and watch. It, it uncrumbles their world, and now it's yeah. it's safe and sane. Yeah, and then you can see, sort of, on the other hand, this weird like technology bringing the Smith family together a little bit, like. Mm. Rick creates these human analog robots um, for Rick and Summer, or for Morty and Summer, rather. And by the end of the episode, they're playing games together. They're having a good, healthy dynamic, and Beth is really into it. Yeah. So, like, I'm not sure what they're trying to say about tech here uh, as it relates to the family, but it seems like they're going for something. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, the other thing is that's – a healthy family dynamic in a very leave it to beaver kind of way. Oh, like, sure. oh, we're, yeah. we're having wholesome fun at the family table. Meanwhile, Beth has literally an entire glass of wine in her goblet. Like, it's not. And it's, these aren't even summer and. That's what I'm morning. saying. It's they're, like, it's, it's, she's, she's taking poor the. Poor facsimiles. Yeah, she's taking the cipher from the Matrix deal of uh-huh. like, you know, like, hey, ignorance is bliss. Uh, drunken ignorance is even better. It's yeah. even more uh, blissful. Um, but yeah, like, if she was on her A game. Like she so desperately wants to believe that this divorce is a the correct decision and it's going to make her and her family healthier that she's willing to take these absurd character you know caricatures of her family right one that's screaming out as it dies yeah she pays to no attention because of her desperation yeah yeah that's the other thing is like how does she contextualize 
what happens at the end of this episode oh, it's where so good. you got this existential fight that those robots putting up and then he, and then they come back in and they're all dressed in their summer has a face tattoo clothes. yeah yeah no it's insane but i love it because there's a little bit of like uh you know i think this is kind of true to like children children of divorce um because i you know i wasn't a child of one but i'm a parent of a divorced child mm. and it seems like there's a little bit um of well if dad didn't like grandpa rick we're gonna grandpa rick it all the time like mm. uh you know jerry'd be afraid of a flaming car coming out of a portal and, and smashing some deformed little person but i'm gonna i'm who cares you know mm-hmm. and if jerry like is asking questions i'm gonna double down on that who cares because you know fuck him and his his whole worldview <laughs> like it's she's really like yeah I, I get it you love that you love rick and you trust him with his kids uh, your kids as opposed to jerry but holy hell like She's really writing those blank checks with her children's safety to Rick in this episode. Yeah, and I, I think like it's it's the the more the parents are able to hide the discontent mm-hmm. um in that relationship and the more they're able to like preserve a veneer of a happy family for the child, the harder it probably is during a divorce. Yeah. Because it feels like they're taking away something good, right? Mm. Not something that's caused them so much strife and problem. Like it's almost like if the parents are arguing all the time, like that yeah. could be maybe a partial relief. I'm sure it's complicated, but like, t- yeah, taking away a leave it to Beaver style family uh, dynamic with a kid is probably pretty rough. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember, you know, like I I didn't have the happiest childhood. Like uh, mm-hmm. my parents didn't get divorced, but oh boy, maybe they should have. And I remember, <laughs> like, you know, like going to sleep here and my parents screaming at each other, like. I, the, I I did kind of hang my hat on the fact like, well, you know, at least uh, we are a family. You know, we're all living in the same house and we have dinner and, uh, uh-huh. you know, shit. My friend Timmy only sees his dad every other week. And that would so it's like, yeah, maybe that like even if everybody's kind of like on board with this is the way things had to go, there's still still a lot of fear. I mean, no, it's just change. Yeah, especially know? change that the, parent, the, the kids have no control over. Right. You know, it's right. like it's going to happen regardless. I want to talk about some of the characters in this because this episode you know though it does deal with heavy subjects like divorce and how that affects children uh it also is just a lot of fun Mm -hmm. like this this beyond thunderdome kind of mad max world that they construct here is amazing down to like the character designs i'm always fascinated by how the animators come up with this shit Mm -hmm. like that you've got the the ruler of the death stalkers in the beginning is this guy named colossus and he's got this jaw and teeth contraption connected to tubes it doesn't connect to his head and like i'm just fascinated how that works and then you know you got (laughs) you get some weird characters like some of the people morty fights in Mm -hmm. the the blood dome are like one guy's got suspenders that go that that connect to his nipple rings Uh to hold them up and i'm like yeah if you're going for a bdsm look i guess this is the way to That's go. That's a liability going into a pit fight, though. I would think so. Yeah, yeah. any kind of dangling jewelry, especially connected to your clothing. Mm-hmm. Convert Bad those idea. to regular suspenders when you go, and maybe take out the nipple jewelry before. I, That's just what I would I do. Would. I mean, some people might get off on that, not me. Yeah, like I, I think I would if yeah, if I was going through a brisk hike through some underbrush, I would uh-huh. take out my nipple rings, let alone <laughs> the blood dome, or put on a shirt. Yeah, 
You could do that too. I mean, the funny thing is, is a lot of these designs were like directly lifted from the the Mad the Mad Max series. Like, I think mm-hmm. uh, the first guy uh, is kind of based on a Morton Joe, and Hemorrhage is based on uh, whoever the assless chap guy was. In the Lord s- Humongous, yeah, yes, yes, from uh, the the Road Warrior, mm-hmm. and then Summer's outfit is straight up. Uh, Straight up, uh, Tina Fey. Yeah, T- Tina Turner. Tina Turner. <laughs> Tina Fey. Yes, from straight, she's straight. Yeah, so Tina Fey could absolutely rock that. Um, <laughs> but I, I, and I think I've seen more Mad Max than you. Um, certainly because you've not seen the new one. I haven't. I haven't seen Fury Road, and I haven't seen okay. Beyond Thunderdome. Because I yeah. feel like a lot of the riffing was like sixty percent of the references were from Fury Road alone. Oh, okay. And uh, I, there's also like I just love the making fun of like the pigeon English. Mm-hmm. That uh, it, the other thing that's really <laughs> funny is like this is the apocalypse, but they make it clear that when you go into the mutants of old Seattle, they're wearing like Bart Simpson T-shirts, and there's like Atari logo, like this. This didn't happen 150 years ago. This happened yeah. like in the last generation, and they've already they can't say word nuclear explosion. It's got to be the boomy booms and the before four times. And uh-huh. They 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 play with a lot of this post apocalyptic kind of like in Mad Max. It's all gasoline, right? It's uh-huh. like oh, pick up bullets at the bullet farm and get the gasoline from the priest of you know the pedal or I. It's it's super fun, but I I'd like to hurl. Jesus cried to all the boomy booms destroy your wordy word books. <laughs> um, and, and then summer summer ends up with a face tattoo. I'm kind of wondering what happens to that in future episodes. I I, I, I kind of feel like they should keep it. It would they be funny. keep it around and just have that as Summer's look now. She's just rocking to Mike Tyson, and it'd be a good way to sort of distinguish, you know, in a multi-dimensional thing, which Summer is which. If you wanted to play around with that, you could. Like, yeah, yeah. a lot of reasons to keep that face tattoo around. I like how they also have fun with their villains. Um, like this this guy who's the head of the medieval world that's holding everybody down has got. Uh, you know, the, the, his dialogue when we meet him, it's like he's in a bath with these two oh, little boys, my God. and. It's like it, it, it's like this this pastiche of making the villains the worst of the worst. Like this guy's obviously some kind of child molester, but the dialogue where he's like, "Grace my genitals again, taint washer, and you'll be shipped to the wasteland." As for you, genital washer, that's fucking hilarious. Yeah, and in in a way that like further discussion would just make it moot. But I right. I love the fact that like they do all those tropey things, but they also have fun of like. Oh yeah, well you know he's he's sure he's a monster, but he's got he's he's got his uh, genital washing preferences and yeah, I'm trying to think if that's like that, that's definitely the the funnier scene to me, especially you know once uh, Armathy starts murdering that guy and uh-huh. Rick shows up and all that stuff, it it turns really good. But early on in the episode, before the adventure gets started, there's a really good line from Summer where she's talking about uh, n- not really knowing what carpe diem means. Uh, and she carpet says, I'm too them. busy carping all them DMs. <laughs> yeah. And Rick gives her like a sly high five. It's, man, it's funny. I love that line. It might actually work. It's like I'm out there seizing all those days. days. Yeah. I mean, it works as well as it is. Is that, is that would ever work, I suppose. But yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it, it's good stuff. And also the like how, 
especially on the back of last episode where Morty reveals that he was a true blue grandson and, you know, he's trying to protect uh, Summer. I feel like there is a full-fledged, there there was like a like an unspoken rivalry, mm-hmm. but now it's like fully fledged. Like Summer is trying, you know, with, the, with the divorce juice flowing through her, she's consciously trying to take over the mantle of, of uh, chief adventurer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're reacting to adventures in polar opposite ways. Like Morty always seems very reluctant to actually go on these. Yeah, Summer's all gung ho. Yeah, I wonder. Um, I wonder if that will change after her coming to terms with this divorce. Yeah, I'm wondering that. I'm also like, I'm I am very curious to see like if they ever mix because we've seen how Jerry mixes in these adventures, and we'll see a little bit more this season to come. But like, I kind of want to see like what's Beth's whole deal with one of these type of deals. Mm-hmm. Cause like I said, we'll, they'll, they'll, you know, we'll find out more about her this season as well. Yeah. If she wants to re-engage with the family, just get in on the adventures. Cause the rest of the family's having adventures. Yeah. Yeah. Even fucking Jerry's getting in on this adventure, this whole adventure game. Not anymore though. I don't think, I think Rick's done. Rick's done with Jerry. He's, he's, he's exiled. He's yeah. exiled from the family. One last thing that I noticed in the episode is where hemorrhage takes his helmet off. Um, and he gives this whole monologue. It's, it's very like half insecure, half like maybe too too sympathetic sort of monologue about you know ju- sort of judging like not wanting to be judged for his own appearance, but then finding himself judging other people for their appearance, which is this vicious cycle that mm-hmm. just sort of leads back in on itself. Uh, I I don't I don't know that I have a lot to say other than to point out that this is all just you know a riff on vanity. Um, but I, f- I found it compelling and, and yeah. funny. I mean, I feel it's, it's also the idea that, um, I feel like stereotypically people say like teenage girls are obsessed with their appearance, like teenage boys don't care. And I felt find that that's hmm. not my experience as a teenage boy, nor yeah, was my experience with other, like everybody wanted to look good and everybody wanted to shine. It's just like, you're an awkward teenager. And cause that's the thing is like this, uh, Hemorrhage, you expect him to be like some 45-year-old dude, but in reality, mm-hmm. he's like a 16, 17-year-old boy that's just as insecure and awkward as Summer is. You know, as we, I think we pointed out the fact that Summer is literally just Jerry with a ponytail. Yep. And if you think about that in real-life terms, that's probably not a super great look for her. That, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. she has to compensate with, like, super cute tops. And, you know, he's got this, like, awkward haircut and mustache and... uh to me it felt very like uh yeah this is this is a 17 year old trying to figure out what's going to look good on picture day kind of thing and did I, you try growing a mustache i yes yes <laughs> i okay. tried to grow a mustache before my mustache was ready to grow and it's mm, it's tragic something i'm trying to my, my son's 13 and uh he's starting to get the wisp of one and I'm, I, I i broke out my old middle school photos like is this what you want <laughs> is this what you want yeah wear this bucket son hide it from the world <laughs> setting a good <laughs> learn example how to use a razor by showing him a bad example yeah yeah this is what happens when your parents don't care enough to tell you to sit you down and say this is not a good look <laughs> does this look cool to you yeah no 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 it's very hard to pull off a mustache period nowadays that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like reserved for you firefighters gotta, and cops. No, uh, no, no. I feel like the, the hipsters brought it back a bit. Like you can. A little bit. If, if you want to get like brown shoes and a fucking tropical pattern shirt, 
or, or better yet, pineapple pattern shirt. You can pull off a mustache. The culture will allow it now. Yeah. I think you're, I mean, Dave, David uh, Harbour's bringing it back. Yeah, that's true. We're rocking a mustache and... Uh, I feel like it all started with Ron Swanson. I was going to say. He started the, the Nick trend Offerman, back toward yeah, the mustache. said, like, you, could, you can have a pompadour and a, uh-huh. a, a 50s mustache, and no one's going to accuse you of being a pervert <laughs> if you look like Ron Swanson. Fair. After the break, Aaron Couch of the Hollywood Reporter's Heat Vision blog joins us to discuss divorce dads and to try and predict some Rick and Morty future. We'll be right back. If you don't have the flu, then don't bother listening. The flu's not is glistening all around us. I'm a flu-hating rapper. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Aaron Couch is the editor of the Hollywood Reporter's Heat Vision blog, which covers all things comic books and science fiction and pop culture. You can follow him on Twitter at Aaron Couch. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, We kind of start these conversations the same way that we always do, and that is we want to get at what your relationship with Rick and or Morty is. Yeah, so I basically had been hearing about it for a long time. I did not start watching it until after season two was out. So, you know, season three was kind of my first real-time uh, one that I got I got to enjoy. But it was, uh, it was actually, um, yeah, my brother-in-law came and showed me the Meeseeks episode, and it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen, you know. He's like, this is the one that will get you into it, and he was right. And then um, I kind of... You know, I got married and season two or season three was coming out and we kind of binged that uh, like kind of during our honeymoon a little bit. And so, you know, I kind of have <laughs> special memories for season three as well, which I, is I kind of funny. P- we were you picked a good one. Yeah, we were, 
Yes, <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah. So, uh, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's uh, it's my favorite ongoing comedy right now for sure. What is it about the Mises episode, man? Like, I because that, that was I had was kind of bullied into watching it by several friends of mine, and I remember thinking the first few episodes were okay. I kind of see, but Mises is the one where I'm like, oh, okay, I kind of see. What what is it about Mises? Yeah, I. I think that it's uh, you know you're 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 just thrown into it, and it's uh, you know I mean th- these guys just want to die. I mean it's just so weird. You, you know you it kind of makes sense in context of the show, but at the time, I don't know. I guess it's just so uh, so creative and out there that uh, if if you're gonna like the show, you're going to you know know right away this is for me or it's not for me. Right on that episode, it's such a great. It's almost like a Sunday a parfait experience because you've got like this pitch perfect satire of the like your failures are your own old man speech that we've seen from <laughs> so many different science fiction fantasy shows. But they also it's like we've never seen it done by some guy huffing helium and you know and, and and these these self-replicating blue monsters i it's there, there's something there i wish i, I wish i could figure because i feel like that episode has the entire rick and morty formula in its in its dna yeah what, one of the it. things i think makes it work so well is kind of kind of one of those formulaic things where they kind of just establish this very weird premise right mm. and then they just follow it like where is this premise going to take us not like trying hmm. to write from some agenda yeah uh with the me six it's always it, they, they kind of establish the rule these things want to die they're here to accomplish a very specific task and they will go to any length to do it yeah and they just follow that and it leads you to this <laughs> golf game which is truly insane by the end of the episode right and the, the fact that like it's 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 the jerry thing too because like only jerry would set such a modest goal and become bored you know, or frustrated with its <laughs> achievability within an afternoon, dooming them to their fate. It's it's, it's something there. I think you nailed it. Yeah, the Jerry. That, that that's what it is. Yeah, right. It's, it's all that stuff. Then you get then you just add Jerry and uh, watch what ensues. Uh, we brought you on here to talk about Rick Mansing the Stone. This is the of course uh, uh, the Mad Mad Rick Fury Road episode. Uh, what you think of Rick Man- Rick Mansing the Stone? It was really touching because I, you know, in my memory, oh, it's the the Mad Max episode, but it was touching to see, oh my gosh, I, I had forgotten that the, uh, you know, the kids going through the divorce and acting out, that is, uh, now that I've, you know, I watched it a few times to prepare for this, that's the thing that really sticks out for me. So yeah, I was, I, I love it when the show gets surprisingly touching and it's just so weird the way it handles that stuff. So yeah, I mean, this is definitely a standout for me. Uh, how about you guys? I remember being kind of somewhat shocked um, because we had a lot of time to come to grips with like the first episode because the way it was, you know, uh, released for an April Fool's joke and there's many, many months. But, um, you know, the the will they won't they with the divorce of of, uh, you know, Jerry and Beth, I was kind of surprised that the second episode, the very the very next episode, they established that they were going to get divorced that it was like boom that that it's it's uh that you're here and you're dealing with it and i guess mm-hmm. cuz my parents they got divorced but they they had the the, the courtesy to wait until i was a, a full grown adult to do it um uh, <laughs> i imagine yeah. that's how it probably feels as a child like the first time you really think about it like mom and dad are sitting there talking about it and dad's moving out yeah, yeah. i mean uh basically that was it for me for sure you know i was uh, a kid and yeah it's kind of i could kind of relate to this one for sure so you so that's interesting because um, I you know not to be too delicate I was wondering you know what because I know Jim and I hadn't had that experience as as kids um, there's a lot of like really subtle details like um, 
uh, uh, Jerry's wardrobe. <laughs> that like you know like <laughs> Jerry's very has very established Jerry identity, but now he's got a members only jacket and his Titanic hat because you know he's trying. He's, he's I think trying. he's trying to figure out where he went wrong in life, right? Uh, like uh, how did I get here? Yeah, it's like well these are things I like, so <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm trying something new out. I, is, is that that must be a weird experience to see like this known quantity your father and now he's going to reinvent himself <laughs> do something with turquoise out in uh-huh. out in arizona the other thing i thought was cool or I, not cool but felt real is the fact that like jerry is not going to turn around and become some kind of awesome actualized jerry in fact hmm. you know getting dumped probably is just going to make whatever insecurity and stuff that kind of fuels his jerry engine uh even worse it's going to be turbo fueled with whatever shame and guilt and insecurity he's got and that's you know it and that's such a it's such a brilliant Re- like visualization of that the wind whispering loser <laughs> i just i thought that's uh it's just like it's such a jerry thing that the universe now is conspiring to to like you use that jerry shame engine to get sustenance from and i i, I like that i don't know what it means and then literally like if it. you're a wolf yeah if you're like literally. i love that tag where he <laughs> you know he feeds his unemployment check to this voracious wolf. But that's the thing, the wolf doesn't even want it. No, it spits it back out. Yeah, it's like I it's like I thought this was what I wanted, but uh, it's it's too pathetic. It's it's uh, it's great. I, I love that you mentioned the clothes because that was what was cracking me up. I I just have this memory of, you know, one day my dad started wearing like a beret or something like that, you know, <laughs> just like, huh, okay, that you know, but it is it is what you're saying where it's kind of easy to to almost make fun of, but the, you know, it's a it's a person trying to move on and yeah, reinvent themselves as you say and as a kid, it is it is kind of strange, but yeah, I, I definitely related to to you know Jerry's hat and stuff, and yeah, is it's, it's just so perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> the beret, huh? That's I, I, that's that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was a red red beret. I think that lasted about a year. So uh, I mean, it was you know it was uh, he was doing his own thing. I like I, I, hmm. I, at the time it was. I feel like at the time you know. I think he had the beret. He may have grown a mustache, you know, because you have to grow facial hair too after something like that. Usually, I don't. I don't think Jerry does, right? But yeah, but yeah, that's that's also kind of the sign. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't really have. Uh, I don't think that 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 kind of anger or anything like that. That you know, there's no uh, armathy feelings, um, but but certainly certainly the kind of the the confusion I can relate to. Well, it's so interesting because, like, you know, you have so many kids that have, like, you know, it's, I, of course, again, I, I, I can't relate to it directly, but I've seen it, you know, in my own friends. I've seen it certainly portrayed in Hollywood productions and television adaptations where kids do have these complicated feelings of, you know, aggression and, and grief and sorrow. And there's no, like, you, you know, there's no clear, just outlet for those feelings. And to have, like, this Rick and Morty situation where, you're in a completely different dimension and the morality is different. And now you're gifted with this murderous, uh, invincible arm to kind of like as, as an unhealthy coping mechanism. I mean, that's like uh, Morty's breaking into uh, what's what's what, what, what do you do? What, what, what do you do if you're a middle class kid and you're wanting to cut loose? You, you break into like a rich person's house under construction. You spray paint over all their mirrors. You scratch up all their their linoleum <laughs> tubs. You do you do something like that. You've seen some very specific movies. <laughs> yeah, you skateboard and they you skateboard and they're empty uh, uh, swimming pools. You, you, you do okay. that. But if you're Morty, you go to a you go to a purge planet or a a uh, 
Mad Max planet, and you just you just kill and maim until until all the pain goes away. Right. <laughs> or if if you're summer, um, you act out in different ways, right? Like that, that's one of the things I appreciated is sort of the different uh, ways that the kids react to the divorce of their parents. You know, M Morty almost does it on a subconscious level until it comes becomes very conscious mm -hmm. um, with this arm that sort of takes over his body, and he. He doesn't understand, you know, why is it killing? What is happening here? And he's just along for the ride until he's not. Uh, Summer very much makes a choice to rebel in other ways, right? Like she goes off and starts to... Uh, she she has this idea that nothing matters, it's all bullshit, which I think is like... She comes to a, maybe a healthy understanding, a healthier understanding at the end um, when she, she goes to see Jerry. But yeah, she's very much dealing with things in her own way. And I, I liked both of those perspectives. Yeah, also, like, I, I think there's something about um, you finding, like, like everybody, when they leave their parents, uh, if especially if they, it wasn't a completely rosy, like, perfect family thing, it's like, oh, I'm, you know, when I get a, you know, I get a relationship, I'm going to do things opposite. Or if I have kids, I'm going to do things opposite. Mm. But mostly, you know, we're creatures of pattern habit, and if we have patterns and habits kind of laid in front of us to follow, we do that. And I thought they did a lot of interesting playing with that, where... Uh, like Summer and uh, what's a hemorrhage that their relationship was kind of an, in, an inversion of Beth and Jerry's <laughs> where like in the first season they're so hapless but then when the Cronenberg universe happens they find some measure of peace and happiness and like <laughs> a, a workable family right and like that's what yeah. that's what that's what Summer and hemorrhage have and then when that turns into a stable kind of like everyday routine they start beth and jerrying i thought that was that was that was pretty funny and prescient yeah i hadn't made the connection between the the cronenberg version that's that's a great point i love that yeah like they have to have some kind of uh daily struggle or they that that uh, dissatisfaction that insecurity turns inward and they just start start, start destroying each other yeah, I mean, with Mad Max, I don't know about you guys. I mean, Fury Road is the one I've seen a, a, a lot of times. I've seen the others, I think, once each. So I, I didn't really get as many of the uh, the non-Fury Road references, but um, there were still plenty that, you know, even just through pop culture, just osmosis, you know, you, everybody knows the Thunderdome and things like that. So, yeah, how did that that stuff speak to you guys? The, did you get a lot of those references? Jim, Jim might be the anti-Aaron because I think he's not seen Fury Road, but he's seen all the others. So I actually, no, I haven't seen all the others. I saw the first, I saw the second. I don't think I've seen Thunderdome oh, you haven't seen ever. Beyond Thunderdome. Okay. Uh, no, but I do recognize, you know, it's it's pretty obvious they have a character in there who's supposed to be like a Tina Turner uh -huh. kind of character. Um, it, it's some of the references, like you mentioned, Aaron, it's just through osmosis, you pick them up in culture uh that's kind of where i'm approaching this episode from i think summer's like uh uh stainless steel dress combination was what tina turner was wearing in yeah. Thunderdome too like uh -huh. the, oh okay like the chain mail dress with the the exaggerated shoulder pads mm -hmm. um but yeah the whole uh having the shrieking guy like announcing the fights that stuff is all super super funny um I I and I, I do like the the arc of the Armathy, how efficiently they tell that story. Um it's essentially two charade conversations and a five <laughs> a five second flashback. And that's everything you need to know <laughs> and understand about Armathy and his whole deal. Yeah. And Arm has a flashback. I mean another just another way this show 
you know, kind of is able to top itself. Who who has an arm flashback scene? I mean, that that's right. so good. It's like the and point it's from of the of, POV of the arm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's from the POV of Arbathy, but his you know, since we don't know him, it's just his just giant left arm prominently out there doing all this ass kicking and stuff. The, the idea that this evil, uh, uh, you know, brave heart, uh, Conan the Barbarian kind of uh, villain would recognize the arm. Right. It's hilarious to me. Yeah, there's something about, there's something about that arm. Uh, I, I, yeah, that, that was super funny. Um, I love, like, speaking of the charade stuff is like where, you know, the arm gives an ambiguous answer about whether it's over or not. And they have this like 30 second scene of, Morty trying to figure out, like, just make a fist if it's not over, and he makes a fist. It's not over. I, I fucking love that t- comedy torture stuff too, and it works so well in in the like an episode that's completely. I mean, this is one of the lesser hinged episodes, um, you know, because you've got it's it's just a Mad Max world that you're mm-hmm. that you're uh, reacting to. There's it's not like a slightly skewed version of Earth. It's it's just a full on ap- apocalypse. Did we want to talk about? The sort I, I think this is the introduction of any kind of robotic human analog uh, kind of beings, and I mm. found I found even the short like the brief stuff they do with Morty in those scenes kind of compelling. Um, he goes through it's very similar to where in the pilot you see them running through, you know, the interdimensional uh, customs, and this being pops out into existence and dies in the span of like three seconds. I felt that same feeling going through uh, the scenes with Robot Morty, where he's coming to seemingly some form of sentience, and then Rick pulls the plug on him. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- th- it was it was dark and and weirdly comical, uh, but this is kind of the first time they I think they've dealt with that sort of issue, and it's something that I would like to see more of. Do you have any thoughts on that? As you know, a, a general sci-fi geek. Yeah, I, I think that. The, the monologue he says, you know, I'm, I'm alive and then, you know, uh, hello, uh, that, that has to be probably top five moments of all time for me for this show. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would, I would love to see what would happen had that, that robot gotten to, to, to live. I mean, uh, would he be kind of an enlightened being? I mean, he seems like he, he really was a very sweet robot right uh so mm-hmm. yeah i would that's definitely something i would love to see to see more of is rick actually giving these creations a, a chance to to do something of course that's very anti-rick i mean he's he's not gonna care right uh, oh, I, yeah. I mean i don't on the one hand i don't see eh, why not just let this guy live on the other i guess it's just gonna be annoying to him is that kind of the the, the case that, that sounds about right yeah if it's annoying to him he kills it or if it challenges him in any way as i said i mean I've, I've seen two seasons of westworld i don't think just letting the robots mm-hmm. evolve and do their own thing <laughs> even if they're sweet and innocent I, it doesn't seem like it goes very well for either robot nor human mm-hmm. i guess he knows that yeah <laughs> but yeah and you know and we have to give a shout out to uh to quote mode in quote mode that, that oh, man. Another, i mean that thing just had so many golden lines. Yeah, it was great. And Beth, Beth not realizing that she just assumes it's oh, it's the way millennials are talking nowadays. A quote mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what aspect of like Beth and Jerry's relationship is performative? Uh, well, let me explain. Like there mm-hmm. is at the very beginning of the episode, the kids are kind of like you know ambivalently saying goodbye to their dad. You know, he's about to you know, pack up and leave. But what does that even mean? Because they're still like, we'll probably see you next week, whatever. 
Um, and when Beth comes out the garage, he's like, well, if you want to know your kids, the kids are with, uh, grandpa on the portal. And she's like, yeah, whatever. And walks out. Does she literally, does she really care that little about what the kids are doing with the grandparents? Does, does Jerry really care that much? Like, I don't, cause like Beth, it seems like maybe she's drinking a lot of wine and she really doesn't understand how checked out her kids are. Uh, it's, it's one of those things I was wondering about their relationship. Like maybe Jerry cares more about the kids a little bit. Yeah, I love that you, you use the word performative because I hadn't really thought about that with Beth, but it does actually seem like, um, you know, some of her, uh, you know, open annoyance or disdain for Jerry. Yeah, it probably is a, a little performative. Um, yeah, in terms of the kids, I mean, as you, as you hit on the fact that she was so happy with these three robots, you know, and didn't even notice it, What you know, the, the robots were... You know, she was ignorant about it, but it made her happy. And I love the idea that, you know, in the future, maybe maybe the robots will rule us, but we'll all be happy and just not even care and not even know, notice. And, yeah, that seems kind of like the, the path that Beth fell into for this one, right? Hey, if the Matrix can steal my body heat and run the world without me noticing, I say yeah. <laughs> more power to that Matrix. That's honestly probably the best <laughs> keep, scenario we could hope for from keep that robot overlords. Keep that perfectly cooked steak right. coming, and I'm not going to ask any questions. <laughs> all right? <laughs> yeah, sounds great. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to ask you, Aaron, is that uh, you know your position here as the, the the heat vision blogger, as the 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 science fiction, fantasy kind of pop culture, comic book guy that that beat that you hold down. Um, you know, Rick and Morty is this this engine that it's it's that runs on you know grinding through those kind of pop culture tropes. Uh, whether it's Back to the Future, whether it's Battlestar. I was wondering, like, as you kind of look out in 2019 in the pop culture kind of landscape, uh, what are the big things you see that Rick and Morty haven't touched on or maybe they touched on has been lightly? What, what's the what's the big thing in season four that's coming down the pike, do you think, that uh, they can they can lift and blow us all away? Yeah, you know, as the, the Rick and Morty experts, I actually had a couple, and I was curious if you could help me because I, I may be wrong here, but is it is it a rule that time travel is, is not ever going to happen in Rick and Morty? Is, have they said that before? I to, to, to the extent that anything is a rule on Rick and Morty, it does seem like the writer's room is duly cautious about manipulating time because, boy... You know, they've all watched yeah. the movies and the, t the television shows where that goes wrong, right? It's, it's pretty <laughs> ironic for yeah. the name of the show, I yeah. would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so time travel is out. And what about, you know, something that I, I want to see more of just in, in general that I'm, I'm interested in is kind of, uh, you know, AI, but not just, you know, you know uh, Westworld where they're, they're smart robots. But I love the idea of some kind of all-knowing, you know, an AI the size of a planet or something like that. It, it, I mean, has, ha, how much AI have they done on the show? We kind of touched on it with you know these robots in this episode, but I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of forgetting if we've Not, if we've seen something like that. No, I mean you've seen mm. like super intelligences like the collective like what Unity. Unity. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, there's, yeah, yeah. There, there's certainly yeah. been like uh, uh, the scientist inside the the mini the microverse. Uh, the Stephen Colbert character is like yeah, an intellect he... approaching him, but like and. But but yeah. you've got like the only smart AI I can think of is Rick's car, you know, keeping huh. summer yeah. safe. Yeah. It, it would yeah. be interesting I mean, to see to... more of that because every yeah, time, it's... like I mentioned before, if if Rick is challenged in any way, he fights back, right? Um, to kind of preserve the life that he wants to live as the the world's the universe's most intelligent being, uh, I think AI would be a big challenge to him. 
Yeah, yeah, especially if it was, you know, because Rick's car, I don't know if it's really conscious or, you know, something something conscious that uh, there is really self-aware because I, I think, you know, Rick's car is clearly firmly in his control and kind of operates by, you know, a certain set of rules. But, yeah, something that is self-learning and getting bigger and bigger would be, yeah, that, I would love to see that. Yeah, like um, you yeah. said, the size of a planet. Like if you if you had um, essentially a Unity-esque uh, artificial intelligence that had more resources than Rick, potentially, I think I think there's a lot of drama to be squeezed out. W of that. Wouldn't it be amazing if like Rick has to abandon his car in deep space at some point? And he 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 builds another one, and no one even thinks. Of, but like three seasons later, it comes back like Viger uh -huh. in the oh. first in the first Star <laughs> Trek, and it's it's gained yes. sentience. It's the size of a planet, and now. Uh, I don't know. It'd be really funny if it's like somehow it run. It's it's trying to keep Summer safe, and it's 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 trying to sterilize all life out of galaxy except for Summer or something. It it, it I like that because like something that Rick himself designed, uh, like an artificial intelligence that he himself designed, is a threat to him because mm -hmm. that's what Elon keeps Elon Musk up at night, right? The fact that uh, someone's going to write yeah. a that, that Tesla is going to be so good at driving that it eventually takes over the world or something. I, I, I think that's what it is. Uh, I think that's what it is. Yeah, there's like this famous example where like they somebody creates an AI to calculate pi and it takes over the world and like eventually the galaxy just getting more and more uh, decimals of pi correct, just creating a giant computer because like, right. that's what it was supposed to do. You know? So I love that. That kind of fits the car thing. Yeah, keep summer safe. That's a great idea. Giant robots versus giant, like you know, like a, a Pacific Rick. That I think that could, yeah, <laughs> that that would be that would be useful. Uh, giant robots are always fun. Um, yeah, uh, I actually just saw one this weekend. Uh, Mortal Engines, that like Peter Jackson mm, yeah. produced thing about giant predator cities eating smaller cities that you are all. That? <laughs> I watched it. I watched it. Uh, yeah, it's long Memorial Day week or long Labor Day weekend. Come at me. I don't give a fuck. I watched I watched Mortal yeah. Engines, okay? I, I think Mortal <laughs> Engines would be a fun because it's almost like they didn't give it any real thought. It's just like, hey, cities have wheels and they chase down smaller cities and eat them. <laughs> That's our movie. Right. Like it didn't it didn't carry a, a two hour runtime. It might carry a twenty three minute a twelve minute A plot or mm -hmm. B plot. Yeah, I could see it. I think you've hit on it. Yeah, yeah. Twelve minutes versus. I like that you kept downgrading it from twenty-three minutes to twelve minutes. Yeah, I think that's about right. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I also saw it, and uh, yeah, the two hours is not quite work. Yeah. And the episode title, Morty Engines. You're you already mm -hmm. you already got the <laughs> the, the rickification of it out out the door. It writes itself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for coming on the show with us, Aaron. Uh, where do people find you if they would like to do that? Yeah, thanks. Thank you, guys. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Aaron Couch, and then uh, all our uh, Heat Vision stuff, the geek stuff at the Hollywood Reporter. It's at thr.com/heatvision. So yeah, thanks. Thanks again, guys. This has been been great. Yeah, yeah our pleasure. We'll, we'll link all that stuff in the show notes. And uh, thanks for coming on, Aaron. We'll catch you later. Hmm. Human music. I like it. It is now time for us to plot to the future, Jim, where we open up a portal to Dimension BM77 to access behind-the-scenes details, trivia, spoilers for future I, I consent. episodes. All right, come with me through. Uh, I There's not a ton. Uh, I don't know if it's because the, uh, the, the commentary was not as insightful or they were not drunk enough or too drunk. Um, <laughs> 
but or I was lazy taking notes. But uh, the one thing I got from that they originally had this device called the Bookalizer, mm-hmm. which was a device to allow that to scan and people enter the fictional narrative of a, a of a book. Um, somehow that turned into this big whole deal. And I, what they really wanted to do apparently is tell this kind of medieval story with Armithy. And they're like, you know what? Fuck it. We can just have a Mad Max dimension and the castle can be in Mad Max. Cause anything can live in a, a Mad Max universe. Like steampunk. Yeah. Straight up feudalism, whatever. Uh, and, I, and they went with it. I'm just, Shocked they couldn't make Bookalizer work, because it seems like such a ripe concept, and I and it would fit right in with Rick and Morty. I'm, man, I wonder how much time they spend. Well, it's the other thing is I wonder if like it's one of those things because half the time as I've been listening to the commentaries, they talk about these ideas that they had to abandon or skew to get into. I wonder if like those are still in their back pocket. Yeah, yeah. Like you know what we got seventy five percent of 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 an of of a fucked up Eiffel Tower built. Mm-hmm. Uh and I kinda like that it's fucked up. Let's let's uh, go back and deconstruct it and see if we can get it to hundred percent. Uh so I, I wonder, yeah that that'd be a great a great device to use. Although what what, so. what 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 do you what do you do? It's like it's a holodeck episode of Star Trek, right? Rick and Morty I mean, blow isn't off. every episode of this, though? Like, traveling through a portal is no different than traveling into a book. That's what I'm saying. It's almost like the book is like, it's it's, it's the hat on the hat of like, if you can, you're, in, you're already in a world that allows yeah. you to do anything you want. You know, uh, the holodeck served the purpose in Star Trek to allow Patrick Stewart to put on tights and recite Shakespeare every two or three seasons mm-hmm. as per his contract. And Rick and Morty, like, fucking they want to do Moby Dick, they can just go to Moby Dick Planet. Yeah. Where the the it's an ocean world entire and and populated entirely by vengeful whales, vengeful white whales. Yeah, I think if if I were the writer of this show, my tendency would be to try to figure out how distinguish it from somehow from the portal device. Mm. Uh, don't know if it's possible. I haven't thought about it long enough. But uh, guest starred Joel McHale. Yep. Of so many things, a fan had but... to record. A line on his phone, apparently, to yeah. send it in. Thank God his head was in a bucket because uh-huh. you can't even tell. Otherwise, you would have had a, a missing punchline to a joke. Uh, well, How do you feel about that punchline? Because I felt like uh, what Dan was saying about it being maybe a little overwritten. Because like the the summer making the observation that like what's happened, your wordy words got blown up in the boomy booms. Like uh, him coming back. Do you mean a dictionary? I felt like the punch, like you just just let just let Summer spike the ball in his stupid face, <laughs> you know, like what, yeah, the, maybe the, the joke of a dictionary. What did that did that work for you? Because like, what is the joke I mean, there? The, the joke there is the reversal, right? Like, yeah, the the joke there is the the uh, the the surprise of oh the you know they don't have words for these things, but they very much have a word a real word for this other thing. Is it so? So why are and they're they aware doing... of the concepts of dictionaries, and somehow yet they're unable to harness the power of a dictionary to so preserve their language, like for fifteen to fifteen years that they've had to make right. a, gif, a, a grip on it. Yeah, so I, I kind of like the joke. I think it adds hmm. an, another layer to it, and I guess it does risk overwriting it, but I enjoyed it. I liked it. I guess, yeah, because I could see, like, it's not that they've gotten stupider. <laughs> not that they've gotten more stupid, rather. <laughs> uh, it's just that, like, maybe it's such a painful topic that they have these euphemisms. Like, if they actually talk about okay. the world being incinerated in nuclear explosions, it's too much. But it's the boomy, boomy booms that happen uh, in the before four time. It's a coping mechanism? Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, I like that. Like, like I, I think people, you know, uh, the, the, the death of like 90% of the world's population would be uh, an event. I mean, it's just like the blood dome is a coping mechanism, right? Yeah. I mean, that's something to keep keep their mind off the horrific nature right. or, or channel their, their anger and frustration into. A little, little bit of the ultraviolence to, uh-huh. to, to pass the time, because what else are you going to do? Hmm. Did you see, I did not know this until I started researching, but apparently it's canon uh, that the Smith family lives in the suburbs of Seattle. Yeah, I guess Justin has said that in interviews. Uh, he he said on a Twitter status back in 2016. I'm going to include this in the show notes that he confer- He said it was in Seattle, and that was obviously several years before this season. And yeah. then this season, they you know the fact. I I guess it didn't make it didn't immediately register to me that they would have to be approximate to the place in their neighborhood that they've essentially displaced dimensionally, but not. This is not an alternate planet. This is very much Earth. Yeah. So they've just jumped to some lateral dimension, the exact same time, the uh, exact same physical place. So they're close enough to just bounce over to Seattle for some hunting and then come right back. Yeah, makes sense. I don't sense. think there's anything. I, I, I will say that like it doesn't seem like there's nearly enough rain. It's true. Like There's a lot it's of true. sunshine in the neighborhood. Uh, and it's my understanding that there's only like three or four weeks of that per year in Seattle. Everything else is kind of drizzly. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, there's also like a desert. But that, to me, like that, that's 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 just apocalypse, man. It wasn't. It didn't used to be a desert. It's 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 what the the boomy booms did yeah, some uh, civic engineering. I don't think they're too worried about any of that stuff. <laughs> I think like you know, saying they live in Seattle is a nice nice nod to kind of where Justin would would place the house if he had to. But like. I don't think they consider that. Oh, where are we at? You know, how how rainy should it be in this scene based on their location? We also, there's, um, they had a little bit of discussion and commentary about the links that Rick will go to avoid being like honest about his intentions and his feelings that the what happened to him and the wedding squanchers like so scarred him that he would literally rather eat human flesh before well there's a compromise he he chewed it but he did not swallow it's like the bill clinton he uh he smoked but did not inhaled or mm-hmm. he puffed it but not inhaled uh he'd rather do that than actually tell morty like what his real plans and designs are for this because you know look what happens if you start trusting people i thought that was pretty uh interesting and then i guess like the one little easter egg that'll come up later is uh in rest and relaxation later this season the isotope is going to show back up yeah uh, I guess it's it's one of the devices used in that scene. What a dick bag to like, you've got the 20 pound ball of the substance, but you got to come back for the, the Oh, the does he ball. see? I thought, I thought what happened there is he had, he had broken up the larger chunk to disperse it throughout. Cause this is just in their fucking garage. I mean, right? the, he had, he was struggling to get a, a sizable chunk in that suitcase. It, 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 I mean, it might not have been okay. the entire okay. chunk, but it was a good chunk of the chunk. So he just wanted like that extra two percent. Yeah, more. like he, maybe at eighteen pounds, he wanted that too. He was huh. gonna he's gonna leave in with ten percent of their own fucking unobtainium. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah. So and then the hemorrhages roar. I, there's a lot of like funny. So I I like the idea. You know, in the conversation we had about the episode proper about the the sapien stuff, like what happens when you don't have mammoths to hunt as people start policing your recycling bins. 
Mm-hmm. Um, which I actually agree. You know, I, I think you should put the shit right for the recycling the work. Sure. But also, like, I, I also feel like coming home after being harried all day and having your neighbor, like, you think, oh, it's going to be some, oh, we're going to have a good old-fashioned neighbor conversation, and they're just hassling me about the recycling. I mean, it's a sign of, of boredom, honestly. Yeah. Like, you don't have enough to do if you're watching me put my recycling out. Yeah, yeah. That's the garbage man's job. That's the recycling man's <laughs> yeah. job. Pickle Me This is distributed by Bald Move in association with Starburns Audio. It's produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch from Starburns and myself, Manayron, from Bald Move. All music featured on this podcast is from the Rick and Morty soundtrack, available from Sub Pop Records. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To discover the many other great shows we do, please check out baldmove.com and starburns.audio. If you appreciate what we do and want to directly support us, consider joining our club at club.baldmove.com to get access to exclusive bonus audio and video features. Finally, you can follow us on your favorite social media at Bald Move. See you next time.